10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in, once again, to the Second to None Podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Excited about our guest today. We're going to talk a little A-State soccer in the next few minutes when we're joined by head coach Brian Dooley, the back-to-back Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year, coming off back-to-back regular season championships for his team. We'll hear from him, get to know his story a little bit and what he thinks about the soccer program coming into this year. Taking a look at some headlines, though, from this past week. I guess the biggest headline came last Tuesday when it was announced that we have a new chancellor at Arkansas State, Todd Shields, who will officially take over in mid-August in the position vacated by Dr. Kelly Danfuss, but uh, excited to have Todd Shields aboard. And hopefully we'll have him yeah, on the program I think soon. We will, and I, you know, most of all, appreciate the, the good sense uh, from Dr. Welch and everyone with the system office uh, making that announcement at like four o'clock one afternoon last week. Great time to make announcements, <laughs> and not only that, but Dr. Welch did one better. He let me know the announcement was coming. Not directly, he should have, but just in that wily way, he knows how. He sent out a tweet right about a little after 3 o'clock on this. I think it was last Monday where he tweeted out just the the white smoke (laughs) that comes when you've chosen a new pope. And so I said, folks, we're about to have us a new chancellor. And it ends up being Miss America's dad. That's right. Savvy Shields, former Miss America, the daughter of our new chancellor. So I'm sure that will come up when we visit with Todd Shields sometime very soon. Another thing that that happened last week that we wanted to talk about is the men's and women's basketball conference schedules were released. And usually this is something we probably wouldn't pay much attention to. But because of the four new teams that are entering the league, it doesn't flow quite the same way it used to as far as conference schedules Mm -hmm. and and for so long you know we'd look at the schedule and and we'd just see when those trips that we knew were coming were coming when are we going on the louisiana swing when are we going to you know make that lafayette monroe trip when are we going to make the troy south alabama trip app and coastal it's not set up that way anymore no and part of it is so if you're going to try to use the divisions you couldn't because the the divisions have an odd number of teams in them so you couldn't do travel partners because each division has seven teams and the best i can tell there's still no set answer on whether the standings are going to be division based or not i really don't think the powers that be and i mean like the ad's and the senior women administrators i I don't think at the conference level they've decided just how they want to keep the standings. They scheduled it off the divisions. We're going home and home with the other six teams in your football division, east and west. 
and then you're playing of the other seven you're playing three of them at home three of them on the road and there's one team in that other division you don't see at all in the regular season for the men i think it's james madison and for the women it's georgia state that they won't see at all this regular season so they they scheduled it divisionally but I don't know that they're going to keep the standings that way. I don't think it's been determined yet. Yeah, just some different looking trips. And it's still Thursday, Saturday, like it's always been. I thought there was a chance the men's might not be. They talked about playing on Sunday. Well, that's right. Yeah, that that was something that was being considered at one point. But it is Thursday, Saturday for both the men and women. But, for example, some of these women's trips that you'll see they'll open up at ulm on december 29th and then they'll go from monroe to statesboro which i can't imagine is an easy trip trying to figure out the logistics i'm sure will be something there and play georgia southern on that saturday december 31st they've got a trip where they go to southern miss and texas state one week thursday saturday and then they've got a trip where they're at Coastal Carolina on a Thursday, fly back for a home game against Old Dominion after that. So every, just so you know, every men's team and every women's team in the league has one split weekend. 28 out of 28. Everybody has one weekend in their schedule where they have a home game and a road game the same weekend. Yeah, and and we're not saying that A-State's got it any better or worse than anybody. This is just kind of the new normal. I'll say this, that particular one you're mentioning for the women, going to Coastal and then coming home to play Old Dominion, Old Dominion's coming from Southern Miss, so they'll literally beat A-State to Jonesboro. I guarantee you on that Friday. Oh, yeah. At Troy, at James Madison, a lot of travel there. That's another women's road swing for the men. They'll open up conference December 29th at Old Dominion, then fly home for a home game December 31st, New Year's Eve against ULM. They've got, and this is the one that I'm really anxious to see how it turns out, at Southern Miss on a Thursday, and then you're at Appalachian State for a Saturday game. So, a lot of travel there as well. And I then I don't know what you do. I guess go I mean, do I get there from Jackson? Maybe you bus to New Orleans yeah, and say, fly we, from New Orleans to Charlotte. Yeah, I was just say it's either gonna be yeah, New Orleans or Jackson. I don't know what kind of flight you can get out of Jackson, Mississippi. I don't know either. And then there's a Texas State Georgia Southern swing. So I'm guessing there's a flight from Austin to Savannah mm-hmm. on that Friday. Yeah, there's some interesting ones. By the way, also note you know, the women's the first time, I guess, at least a long time, where the women are also playing 18 Sunbelt games. And I talked with Destiny Rogers about that last week. She said somehow going from 16 to 18, because women have been playing 16 conference games, going to 18 somehow alleviated a bunch of problems and left it to where everybody could only have one of the split weekends. There was a version of a 16-game conference schedule where Louisiana Lafayette's women's teams had five split weekends. Oh, wow. And she said Coach Broadhead was like, who'd I piss off? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So going up to 18 made it where everybody only has to do that one time. All right. So, again, the conference schedules are out, and I'm sure the uh, rest of the schedule will be out sometime 
soon as well with those non-conference games added to it. Again, uh, we're going to switch gears and visit with A-State soccer coach Brian Dooley when we come back here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Joined now by the back-to-back Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year from A-State Soccer, Brian Dooley. How you doing, Coach? Never had a better day. <laughs> there it is. I love it. <laughs> it's a stock answer. I get disappointed if that's not what you get back. That's true. You know, it's still early in the day, so we'll see how it ends up. Well, it was, uh, it was a good day. Last time we saw you was back on July 4th. I thought it was really cool that you brought the entire team out to... <laughs> The red, white, and blue color run that we did at Joe Matt Campbell Park in Jonesboro. And it was neat to see all the girls out there. It seemed like everybody had a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm still getting the powder out of my cell phone. <laughs> I was cleaning it this it, morning. So. It takes a while to get that out. <laughs> yeah, well, the kids had reported on the 2nd of July, and you know they're here for the summer school and, and the, the voluntary workouts with the strength and conditioning coaches until we can start August 2nd. And you know, we were looking for things to do, and you know, I heard about this, and I reached out to Kara Ritchie and got a few of the details. I asked her like, how long was the distance, and she thought I was asking for myself, you know, because <laughs> I'm walking whatever the distance is. <laughs> but we decided to kind of put something together for the kids, give them something to do, get out, support a great organization, and, and, and raise money for the United Way. You know, I also told the girls it would be our first timed fitness run. So they were a little bit worried. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> and, um, you know, they came out and they were excited and, and they had a good time. Well, it's cool that right out of the gate you get to bond like that. And I'm sure part of what you do this time of year is a lot of team building and, and doing things as a team and something like that is kind of perfect for what you're trying to do. Yeah, it, it just gets them out. You know, away from campus, they get to know the new kids, get to know the area a little bit better. You know, we just had fun walking, and, and a few of the kids went on a jog. They didn't make it competitive. I think they didn't <laughs> they didn't want to show off anybody. But uh, you know, it was good, and it's probably something we'll continue to do as long as they keep doing it. And those few ran around the color. I, I mean, whatever, do what you would do, but some opted to not. You know, get powder all on their cell phone. Yeah, well. We'll get them when they're not looking. They weren't the only the ones, by the yeah. way. They weren't like, I'm not calling anybody out. There they were a few people that wanted to come out and take part in the run without. Yeah, you're not supposed to come out of that thing absolutely clean, and you had a couple of players that, that did. So. All right, I'll find out who it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a chance to kind of visit with you and, and talk about not only the team, but kind of you and your history and – I'm interested just, you know, where did you grow up? When was the first time soccer was introduced into your life? Well, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and my family moved to South Florida before I had any memory of Kansas City. So I kind of consider myself a South Floridian. 
Grew up pretty much in Miramar, Florida. Also, famous person uh-huh. alert, uh, Johnny Depp. Went to high school with Johnny Depp. I was going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my, my older brother was playing soccer and, and, and all the sports in, in, in the Op- Miramar Optimist Club. And my dad would take us there. And one day he said, this is your turn. So I went out there about six, seven, yeah, U8s, I guess it was, and started playing soccer. Were you just instantly in love with it? Did it take a while? Well, I think it was just, you know, something that you did. And, yeah. and, and uh, since I had an older brother that played, it was like my turn and I was following in the footsteps. And, you know, it was nothing like it's organized now. You know, now you have youth leagues and organized leagues and national leagues and regional leagues. And, you know, everyone's paying enormous fees to go play youth sports. You know, this was a thing. We just kind of showed up and started playing. And what kind of hit me first was I was able to score some goals. I could kick the ball and, and find the spot away from the goalkeeper. <laughs> and that is what everyone tries to do when you play soccer. So I was good at what everyone wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of, you know, everyone's cheering for you and, and everyone yeah. kind of expecting you to, to score some goals. That kind of hooked me in the game. What else did you play? Side soccer. I also played football. Oddly enough, I was a kicker. <laughs> and, uh, you know, wide receiver. The one thing I remember about my football days was I had a pattern to run, and it was, it was a veer offense for 110-pound football. And I had a pattern was like an 86, whatever the number was. And, and I remembered the even numbers meant that I cut across the field and the odd numbers meant you cut out. So I ran my pattern, I cut in and our quarterback, Johnny Marr, I still remember Johnny, he's a good friend, tried to throw it to me and it got intercepted. And then I got off the field and a coach grabs me by my face mask saying, why were you running inside? And I said, well, it was an 86 pattern. And he goes, oh, you were right. I should have called 87. (laughs) (laughs) So I did the right thing and it didn't work out. But my success was pretty much with kicking. I was the place kicker, and in those years, you got two points if you kicked it through instead of one point in the youth league. So every time we got a touchdown, I would run on the field, kick it through. And I ended up having a newspaper article written about me, the old Hollywood Sun Tatler, breaking some kind of records of kicking, and just one of those things that just kind of happened. And soccer kind of ended up taking over a little bit more for me, mainly because the the kicker ahead of me in high school was Dean Biasucci. And if anyone knows any history of Dean Biasucci, he kicked 10 years in the NFL, was an all-pro kicker for the Colts. So I didn't want to be a backup kicker. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> soccer became my, my pride and joy. Well, you did go to college and mm-hmm. played at FIU, won a national championship there, right? Yeah, I was very fortunate. I was in the first freshman class ever at FIU. It used to be an upper division school. So when I graduated high school, I was recruited for a couple of places and, and just never really pursued anything. And FIU had, a, you know, they were advertising new freshman class, so I applied, I got accepted, and I tried to walk onto the soccer team. In my first year, I spent about three, four days of practice, and I got cut as a freshman. Went to school, didn't really know what to do since I didn't have soccer for the first time in my life. So... I ended up playing some of the, sun, the Sunday leagues. Someone gives you 50 bucks every goal you score. You make a little bit of money. 
hang out on the weekends and, and you know get your classes done. And then I decided to contact Coach Kremser. Coach Carl Kremser was my coach. He was a former kicker for the Dolphins okay. way, way back in the day. They gave me an opportunity to come out in the spring. So I worked hard and I, I prepared and, and went through the spring season and, and did fairly well, better than I had done in the fall. I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, we had a very talented team. There were players that were you know, international, in, not necessarily pros, but in the developmental programs for the pros back then. And he said that he'd give me another shot in the fall. So during that summer, I trained and ran and trained and ran. I was the fittest I've ever been. A buddy of mine, Dave Salerno, he had a, an uncle that ran a, a garbage truck. And the garbage truck ran through all the, the trailer parks in South Miami. Mm-hmm. So we got up about 4 a.m. He'd take us to this little diner down there and eat some greasy food. And we'd be running behind the garbage truck, throwing garbage in the truck. And that's how I got fit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it, it's a memory, you know, that, that never leaves because it showed determination from my part to try to get back on that team. I know my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, when I got home from those garbage truck runs. Sounds like something Rocky would do. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking Rocky you know, boxing yeah. the sides of beef. And... Yeah. Well, I had to keep distance from from my wife at the time because I did not smell good after that. Yeah, you needed to go straight to the shower. Yeah. After. But I remember, you know, it, it was the fittest I had ever been, and I was able to make the team. And, and again, I was, it was me and Ivan Olson that were the only freshmen or first-year players on the team. Everyone else was older and, and very talented group. They might have might have lost in a national championship game the year before. So I was on the team, not a prominent player. A lot of these guys were 24, 25 years old. And, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't quite make it in the pros overseas, so they're here getting an education and playing soccer. But I learned a, I learned a lot. I valued being on the team and took that part seriously. I was, you know, back then, FIU was – not nearly as big as it is now. You know, it's one of the largest. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'd help with the water, bring the balls out, gather all the stuff, make yourself valuable. It reached a point where Coach Kremser finally said, everyone, uh, Dooley's not allowed to bring out anything anymore because he's doing it all the time. You know, so I kept doing it anyway. But um, I didn't get to play a whole lot, but I, I appreciated my, my role on the team. I worked hard with it. And training was my game day. You know, it's the same message I give our players here. You know, it's whether you're playing in games or not, you're, you're still required to give effort. You're still required to find your role within the team. That's how I, I survived. Made it through the, the season, and, and it turned out to be an unbelievable season. Winning a national title, I got the best view. <laughs> right on the sideline, <laughs> right on the bench. But being a part of it and, and being a part of a team – you know, at that level was the first thing I'd, the highest level I'd ever seen. You know, I just come from a little neighborhood club. And that opportunity really opened my eyes to the sport and and the level of the sport. I don't want to get too far away from this. I want to go back one more high school note. Because what happened is, folks may know, there was just a stretch time where old Johnny Depp was in the headlines about every day. <laughs> And yeah, so, not and too so, long ago. And so one day we're we're covering it, and coach sends me a text. Says, "By the way, I went to high school with Johnny Depp." <laughs> so like when you say that, 
Yeah, what's that mean? Does that mean you guys were two guys in a class of 2,500? Or when did you know you went to high school with Johnny Depp? Well, it's an interesting story because back in high school, you didn't you didn't know who was going to be famous or who, who was going to be actor or who was going to be musician or whatever. But uh, Robert Elba, who's a good friend of mine, was my best man, and I was his best man at his wedding. He was in a band, a musician, and Johnny Depp was also in a, another band. I think we were called The Kids. And we shared a PE class, all three of us. And our teacher, Mrs. Cummins, she was really cool. She was, she was great because where our school was, Miramar High School, every other Friday, once a month or every other Friday, we'd have to walk. We'd have to get dressed out. Johnny never dressed out. Johnny didn't do that. <laughs> but, uh, and we knew him as John, John Depp. But uh, we would go do bowling. They had a bowling lane, so we'd go bowling. And if you didn't go bowling, you'd have to write like a one-page essay or a report or something. And Robert was very creative, so I kind of followed his lead a lot. And when we didn't bowl, we'd write essays on a sport, something. And, and I think Robert did seal clubbing, and, uh, and I did hot air ballooning. And we just kind of made a, a joke of it, and the, the teacher started to appreciate our essays more than our bowling. So she kind of <laughs> asked us to not bowl so we could write the essays. And, and Johnny would, would always have a guitar, you know, and he'd mind his own business, never cause any problems or anything, but he wasn't really interested in the PE thing, and uh, she appreciated that too. So that, that was the kind of the memory I have in high school, and the fact that he then, his band went on tour, and, and you know, as the story goes, he was met Aaron Spelling or Tori Spelling and Aaron Spelling's daughter, mm -hmm. and he's a big producer, and he had opportunity that went off from there. Yeah, it went off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I was never, you know, a close friend or anything like that. I know Robert kept in touch with them a little bit more because of their shared interest in music. But So did you know that was going on or all of a sudden did you see something years later and say, holy cow, that's the dude from PE class? <laughs> well, you know, you, you stay in contact with your buddies and your friends and, and people would always say, hey, you know, looks like he's in, um, I think it was Nightmare on Elm Street. Might have been the first movie that he made, and, and I just remember the that was the original Nightmare on Elm Street. People don't probably won't believe he's as old as I am, but he is, and um, he's the guy that gets swallowed up in the bed in the in the story. And then he had a a part in Platoon, which was an Academy Award winning movie. Yeah, he was the radio guy, and I remember seeing him in that. And then you just start following, and, and you know, hey, I vaguely know this guy, and and you see the success that he's had, and in the movies and becoming a star and and now recently <laughs> you know the things that come, sometimes comes with that yeah. you know i don't think anybody would have would have foreseen something like that but i think that's that's not an uncommon story when it comes to people that make it in the movies yeah. you know no well, he he got his big break and kind of shifting it back to you now i mean you're you, you play at FIU but you ultimately get a break and have a chance to go into coaching. And mm -hmm. was it at FIU when you were playing that you decided that's the route you wanted to go? Coaching sometimes finds you. In this case, it, it, that's exactly what happened. And we win a national title. We go through the spring. And then I don't do anything in the summer. Just the opposite of what I did before. And guess what? I got cut right after winning a national title. So I hated Coach Kremser for that. Later, I told him that he changed my life. He didn't realize it at the time, yeah. but he did the right thing. I didn't prepare. I didn't show my value in athletics. That's what happens. So dropped out of school, started working for the city of Miramar, 
lining ball fields, fixing sprinklers in the medians, making enough money to hang out on the weekends and play on the summer soccer leagues again or the Sunday leagues again. And we reached a point where Marie, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, said, uh, got to get your act, <laughs> act together. This isn't where I want to be. So I decided to get back to school and took an education class. Dr. Stephen Fain, in the first 15, 20 minutes of the class, talked about how education changed his life and how he, as a teacher, was able to affect change in other people. And I walked out of that room knowing what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into teaching. And about that same time, in the Sunday league that I'm playing in, Pete Campbell, who's one of my mentors, helped really get me going. He was the boys coach at Hollywood Hills High School. And he said, hey, we need a girls coach. He goes, the team's not very good. They haven't won very many games. Why don't you come give it a shot? So I figured, let's do it. So I was a substitute teacher while I was finishing my degree and started coaching at Hollywood Hills High School. Pete was a really big help. You know, he, he had a very successful program, loved the Dutch system of play, and, and that kind of where I kind of started to learn a little bit more about the game. We had some success, first winning season that they've ever had. And, you know, I still remember going into the athletic director at the time and telling him that we needed uniforms because we don't have anything. And he says, well, we don't have any money for uniforms. So we had to raise money and went to the local sports store and found a way to get uniforms for the team. You fight your fights. You find ways, and, and I think the players started to realize that, you know, I was going to be serious about it, so they became serious about it. And, you know, I was there for maybe three, four seasons uh, while I was finishing my, my degree. The next opportunity came when FIU started a women's team, and Everton Edwards, which was one of my teammates when I played, was going to be the head coach, and he, we crossed paths maybe. I think I might have been playing in one of the Sunday leagues. And he said, hey, you know, would you want to come over and help? So I kind of volunteered. That was my first part of, of coaching college. You spend that time coaching at FIU. You end up later moving on, becoming an assistant at Barry University, became the head coach after that at Barry, and then spent 14 seasons at FAU. Right. So you spent a lot of time in South Florida. And <laughs> Fortunate in, in what you learn in this profession is you move a lot. And I've been fortunate, certainly early in my career, to be able to stay in South Florida. You know, we had three boys. My, my youngest is, is here now as a senior. And being able to raise them in one area and not have to really bounce around, you know, I was able to keep a house in one place while I was at FIU or Barry or FAU. So that kind of helped a lot. But starting a program when, when women's soccer wasn't very big, you know, at FIU, it was the years that everything started. And, you know, we're playing against some teams that were pretty good. University of Central Florida at the time was, was one of the top teams. And Michelle Akers, who's a legend in the women's game, was their big, big player. And I remember trying to play against her, which was a nightmare trying to figure that one out. <laughs> and um, the opportunity to move to Barry came. And uh, Mike Cavone, who's he's still the athletic director there now, he had built an incredible program there, even though it was Division Two. It was just the beginning of Division Two, So prior to that, all teams played in one division, and, and Barry made it to the national tournament before they split into Division One and Division Two. So I had the opportunity to move and, and help uh, become an assistant there, again, while finishing my degree and then doing my student teaching and, and running all over the place from one place to another, trying to get to practices on time through the traffic. But th that was a different environment because that team had – expectations to win national championships because they had won a national title mm -hmm. years before I came. It was a different environment totally. That made my eyes open to the point of, okay, there's 
there's something more within this sport because you could see it was starting to grow. And a lot of teams, a lot of schools were starting in large part because of Title IX and, and offering opportunities for, for women. And, and the opportunities to coach kept growing with that. And I was fortunate we won two national titles when I was at Barry. And then one year we didn't make the playoffs. And that's when Mike decided, hey, I'm going to become an AD. He figured it would be a good time to hand it off because there wasn't as much pressure. That was my first head coaching job. Yeah. Oddly enough, we went all the way to the national final that year, my first year as a head coach. So I thought, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do this every year. <laughs> yeah. And we lost in the final to Franklin Pierce in Ringe, New Hampshire in November. And I still remember the day walking out to the game. It started snowing. The coach there was Mark Krikorian, who's recently left Florida State after winning three national titles at that level. He had a team that had a lot of Nordic kids, Sweden and, and Holland and that. And they're all cheering. They're loving it. Yeah, they're cheering. <laughs> and my kids, from, you know, I got a lot of Miami kids, and they're like, what is this stuff coming down? <laughs> and, and we had to find jackets and, and everything because we didn't expect to have to play in that kind of conditions. And we went out and played like we had never seen snow before and, and lost in the final. You know, I figured, eh, we'll be back next year. We'll get a chance. But it didn't quite work out that way. We were successful, but we never got back to the Nationals during my four years as head coach. But that opportunity did come about to go to Florida Atlantic. And again, 14 seasons as the head coach there. Kind of educate everybody there. Was that a young program as well? Were they just getting going when you took over at FAU? It was, it was a similar situation. They had a program. They had a men's team as well. But it wasn't funded very well. And... I don't think there was a lot of pressure or expectations put on the program. So they were kind of at the bottom of the table. I think it was a Trans-America conference at the time. Okay. And uh, later became the ASON or ended up moving to the ASON. I took the position as an opportunity to get to Division One, And again, FAU was similar to FIU. They started a freshman class around the same time that FIU did. So I was familiar with them. We played against them on the men's side. And I had a few connections in the area of Boca Raton with the club scene. And, and I had some people that were supporting my candidacy for the job. And, and I was given the opportunity to coach there. I didn't know till three years into the job that it was just kind of part-time. You know, they, it was like a 10-month position, but they had stretched the payments over 12 months. And I had no idea that that was the case because, you know, I was just, okay, the checks are coming. But, but now as, as you're getting closer to retirement, you realize that those years didn't count towards my pension because <laughs> it wasn't considered 12 months. Yeah. So they pulled some quickies on, on the contracts and things that I didn't really know about. But finally it got legitimate to where I was earning some pension numbers, the Florida retirement system, which I don't even know what's left in that anymore. <laughs> so I'll have to check that out before I can really end, hang, hang up the, the cleats, as they say. But um, we had success there. Yeah. And we turned the program around and, and they started to fund it and they started to give us close to the scholarship limits. And, and we had some really good teams, was able to bring in some significant players from international levels that have played over 100 caps for their national teams. And, and we got to a point where we were battling University of Central Florida before they left the conference. It was us, us and them in the finals. Losing. I still remember one we were hosting and, and we're tied and then there's a lightning delay. We get back on the field like 11.30 at night. We end up in a penalty kick shootout and we're so close and, and end up losing in the shootout. And that was kind of disappointing because we were so close. You know, here's our chance to go to the NCAA tournament. 
we had a lot of talented players, and it was just one of those things that just doesn't work out. Might have been the next year or two years later, we had the opportunity. We did really well. We won the ASUN, and we got into the NCAA tournament. And it was the first and only time that their women's team there has been in the NCAA tournament. And uh, we drew Florida State, <laughs> who was like the number one team in the country. And we played them at UF because at the first round then were four teams. So University of Florida was there with Illinois, and then it was us and Florida State. We hung in there. You know, we were down one nothing until about the 87th minute, and we had a couple chances. We were pushing and, and ended up losing the game 3-0. Gave up two counterattacking goals. But you lose 1-0, you're done. Yeah. You got to try. You know, so we pushed for it and ended up losing 3-0. But that was the, the, the one time that I've been in the NCAA tournament with, you know, at the Division One level as a head coach. 14 years at FAU, again, you, you mentioned turn that program around. Spent a couple of years after that as an assistant at Missouri. So you mentioned you were born in Kansas City. Yeah. Went back to the, the state in which you were born. And then the opportunity comes about to get back in as a head coach at Arkansas State. And look, this was going on eight years ago now. But at that point, Arkansas State had played 15 years of soccer in its history and only had two winning seasons to its credit. So you knew coming in you had a major rebuilding job in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would I would tweak that a little bit because I don't know if it was a rebuilding job as much as just a building job. I don't know, to be yeah, rebuilt. that's probably a better yeah. way to put it. We decided, my wife and I, to try the Mizzou – situation it was an associate head coach and try the sec give it a go you know i'm wondering what what would happen you know great experience place was awesome the resources are incredible but having been a head coach for so long becoming an associate sometimes is a little bit difficult and you know you're seeing things different than the, than the head coach but you're in a position of of support so you take the the party line right and, and you run with it and I think my wife knew that I wasn't really happy. And, um, you know, the opportunity, we're going to the NCAA tournament, we're playing Kansas. And I learned that Mizzou-Kansas was a pretty rough game, okay? <laughs> yeah. Even though, you know, they left to go to the SEC. And um, it's it's about time for the breakfast before the game, and I get a call from somebody that we all know, Terry Mahajer. Terry worked at FAU when I was there, mm -hmm. and his office was right next to mine. So we had a lot of conversations. And I had a lot of conversations he didn't know I was in on because he speaks kind of loudly and I could hear him through the walls most of the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he called and he said, hey, you know, we're going to be making a change in our women's soccer coach and, and would you have interest? And I said, Terry, I appreciate the call, but we're getting ready for an NCAA tournament. I don't want any distractions. I'll let you know if anything changes. He goes, well, I got to move quick on this. I said, I appreciate the call. I really do. We go out and we beat Kansas. I remember it was a freezing cold day. And I left South Florida for this. <laughs> and um, we beat Kansas, and then we get to the next round, so we go out to Stanford. We lost to Washington in double overtime, I think, in the, to get to the round of 16. As I'm coming home, I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder if Terry's filled that job yet. It's, it's hard to be an assistant after being head coach for so long. So I called him, and he said, yeah, well, we just had somebody here in on an interview, and, and you know, can he get here Tuesday? And I said, yeah. So I drove down and met with Terry and, and Amy Holt. Took me around, showed me everything. And 
and met with you know all the support staff and everything that was around. Had a meeting with with the players. I think there were there wasn't a transfer portal back then, but probably should have been with that group. And a bunch of them ended up leaving. So had a good conversation with a few of the players, and and you could tell that the kids that that wanted to to win wanted change. And I wanted to be head coach again, and uh, the opportunity and the timing just worked out. So I, I sat down with Terry, and we worked out a situation, and he didn't think I would accept it. It was less money than what I was getting paid at uh, at Mizzou, but wanted to be head coach again. So you know, my wife and I had that discussion, and we decided, let's go for it. I know we're going to talk about what you guys have accomplished. I'm going to kind of jump to the what you guys have accomplished in broad strokes because I've told people a lot of times at times I've probably said soccer's a sport Arkansas State's not supposed to be good in and what I should probably say is soccer's a sport that I think it's very difficult for Arkansas State to be good in yet you've managed to do it so how well, I think the, the the first thing I realized when I when I came in I remember the indoor hadn't been finished yet it was under construction and, and soccer pro- program had been moved over into inside the track and then our, our locker rooms and everything weren't quite built yet. But I realized that you couldn't be successful here because the volleyball team was successful when I got here with uh, Coach Rear. And they won. They made it into the NSA tournament and some of the other tournaments that, that were there. So I, I kind of looked at that model and said, okay, we can be successful here. And, you know, we would practice out on, on the soccer field and, and – the track team was throwing the javelin on the other half, you know, and I'm like, God, I hope these guys aren't so good at the javelin that we're in trouble <laughs> at the side of the field. And uh, they're pretty good. <laughs> and I told the kid, you know, hey, if you don't get your work done or if you're not doing what I'm telling you, you're going to go work on the javelin catch at the other side of the field. But I think the the seriousness of what we tried to do started to get through. And, and a few of the kids realized, hey, this isn't for me. We just started to clear out the roster a little bit and – started to find some recruits and managed a, a player named Kelsey Ponder, who was a very good goalkeeper, got her to come because where she was going, uh, the coach left to another job. So she was back out there. And because of the contacts I had made in, in the St. Louis area at Mizzou, coach called me and said, hey, this kid's available. You need to have a goalkeeper. You need to have good goalkeeping to be successful. So that kind of started the transition. And then you got to find someone to score goals. If you have those two things, you can win any game. You, you may not win every game, but you can win any game in soccer if you have a great goalkeeper and you can score a goal. And uh, we stumbled across this young lady named Sarah Sodoma. And that kind of changed things. Teams had to defend you a very special way because one mistake, she was in. She was deadly. Ends up being the all-time leading goal scorer. And then we get double lucky by finding Megan McClure in goal. So Kelsey wasn't happy about that. You know, we have another great goalkeeper coming in and they're competing for time. And they shared some time the first couple of years. And, and, and then Megan took over after Kelsey graduated. And, and so now we have, again, top goalkeeper in the conference and one of the top forwards in the conference. So you can be successful those ways. So I think a lot of it was just we found the right pieces at the right time in the recruiting process. And bringing Shannon on board, Shannon Washington as an assistant coach after my first year, you know, she, she's come on and, and has really grown into the program as well. And, and, and 
Daniel O'Hare, who we just lost, you know, he's moving to Nashville and he was our goalkeeper coach for five seasons and he was great. So we had a great staff. We hit some, you know, recruiting, we had great players, but also great core kids that work hard and, and understand their roles and, and everything just started to fit together. We didn't care what happened in the past. We didn't care what the records were in the past. We just wanted to be the first. And that was one of the things that Terry kind of sold me on when I took the job. So you can be the first to have success here in the sport. And we've been, we've been fortunate. We've built the program in, in a way that challenges the players. And we feel that if you play good teams, good players will want to come. So we made the schedule very difficult and played against top teams. We've been competitive at that level. You know, we're still waiting for that big win against a, a major program, but we're right there. Five straight winning seasons now, back-to-back regular season Sunbelt Conference championships. Still trying to get over the hump in the conference tournament, though. Is that is that kind of the next step? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the tough one because we're a one-bid conference right now. I think that's going to change with the new teams that we've added, the growth of the sport, and – some of the other conferences losing teams, I think we have a, a real strong opportunity to get more than one bid. So I think that takes a little bit of pressure off of getting into the tournament. But, you know, we made it to the final twice, lost to South Alabama uh, both times. Do you mind? Because let me, <laughs> let me say, I, I've listened to this whole conversation. Part of it I knew, part of it I didn't. But I go clear back to you make it to a final you know, at the Division Two level, and you take a bunch of South Florida kids to play in the snow. And you make it to a final, going to knock off UCF, and a lightning delay kind of comes and makes things squirrely. And and now to Arkansas State, <laughs> because you mentioned, you played South Alabama twice. Once you get a, a card early, and you have to play the entire match a person down, which gives you essentially no chance to win the match. And then you turn around and get back to the final again, and like you can see it, but it's right there in sight. And another squirrely turn of events changes the match in the last four or five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's disappointing, you know, to to have to overcome things that you can't really control. But that's really what we had to find a way to do, and and didn't do a good job of it. You know, we have a one goal lead, and we have a red card with about twenty minutes to go. Questionable call. It kind of turns everyone on their head a little bit and the other team gets energized and you know you're you're trying to deal with all that stuff on the sideline and managing it and trying to find how do we hang on for another 18 minutes or so because you basically you'd spend the last 18 minutes that match basically right unable to play offense for uh, essentially yeah and you know it, it, it and they're an excellent program no question about it they're very good the the red carded player had a very specific role for us in the game and she was excelling in it and she received a yellow card earlier and and you know looking back I probably should have pulled her out at that point and settled things down before bringing her back in because we were allowed to do one re-entry in the second half but it was just such a crazy situation it wasn't as though she was fouling people all game long and she finally got a yellow it was just a yellow card that again shouldn't have been given and then there's a collision, and she gets piled on and, and tries to get up, and the other player flops like, oh, my gosh, she hit me or pushed me or did something trying to get up from the ground. So that second yellow hits, and now, boom, we're right back in playing short, shorthanded. And, and 
I wish we were prepared better. You know, it's it's not a reason why we why we lost. I think we still could have held on if 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 I had prepared them a little bit better for dealing with that. But uh, that's the things you deal with in sport, right? And look, you you mentioned a couple of people that you've been able to build around with Sarah Sedoma, who's now playing with the San Diego Wave FC Club. And Megan McClure, who I believe is playing in Albania, is that right? Yeah, she'd signed with a club, um, the top club in Albania, which which actually gets a, a, a bit into the Women's Champions League. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, that will be her opportunity, I think. You know, you do well in the Champions League, someone's going to find you. And then you bring in somebody like an Aaliyah Williamson, who was – Sunbelt freshman of the year last season. So you continue even after players like Sarah and Megan have moved along. Aaliyah is somebody that you can now build around for the next few years. Yeah, I think um, Aaliyah really benefited from having a, a, a strong senior group last year. Sure. You know, she she comes from the Memphis area and, and played a lot of basketball in high school and, and has that mentality of, of how to handle space. You know, basketball is in a much tighter arena than a soccer field. But when you're trying to score goals, that's where all the tightness is. So she really excels in that space. And she was originally recruited to kind of play in a midfield role, but right away we kind of sensed you know, she's got that, that it factor when, it's, when she's in front of the goal. She benefited from having Sarah Sodoma out on that wide side who could get the corners turned, and she found a way to time her runs and, and be a dangerous, dangerous player. Absolutely. The season will be here before you know it. You've got games coming up here in the next month. And just I know the schedule hasn't officially been released, but I know a lot of your non-conference games, (laughs) if not all of them, will be in-state. And the only road game will be when you go to Fayetteville on August 28th. Yeah, we're, we're waiting on one school to give us a contract back so that we can release everything. So... I think maybe we should just release it anyway. We'll see if I can get that done. But um, I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen with the Sun Belt and what kind of travel we would have. So we tried to keep our non-conference close. So we only have one away game for non-conference, and that's at Arkansas, like you said. And, and we've developed a pretty good relationship with them. We played them twice a couple springs ago. And um, you know they're an Elite Eight-level program, and, and – you know, they're itching to take their next step too. You know, I think that they're a Final Four national championship contender every year now. Anytime you can get somebody like that on the schedule, you have to. I think it, you know, we, we've seen it, it in baseball the last couple of years too. And yeah, it, it's neat to see that matchup finally taking place there. Of course, football's coming up in 25. But I mean, have you felt something different when you played those games uh, against Arkansas just those first couple of times? Well, I know there was. The first one was played at our field. Yeah, and might have been the biggest crowd we've ever had out there. It was. It was cool. It was a great environment. Really was, and you know they scored on a on a free kick situation kind of early in the game, and and that's kind of the way they go. You know they go at you the first fifteen minutes, and they're really hard to contain. And if you fall behind, it usually gets away from you. But we were able to hang in there for a little bit longer, and. And then Sarah Sodoma did her, her damage cutting in and hitting a really nice goal to make it 1-1. And we're hanging on, you know, and, and end up with a, with a skirmish in front of the goal. We lose 2-1. But I think it, it showed that we can compete and we can play play at that level. And as a coach, 
I get more out of that game than a game where you might win 5-0. You stress your players, you put them in difficult situations, but they also gain confidence. Hey, we can we can play here. We can do that. And you know, that also allows other programs to want to play us too. You know, like Washington State, who was a Final Four team, paid us handsomely to go out there and play. You know, opened up the season last year and and we end up with a 1-1 draw in an unbelievable environment, you know, and then we have Kansas coming here last year. We're going to be returning to them next year. And then we have Ole Miss coming to our place to play and Mississippi State coming to play at our place because those teams want to play us because it's a good game, you know, and, and, and Arkansas was the first one to give us a chance. You also said, too, that one of the upsides of playing Arkansas is the fact that you know, when you break through, and that's not if, it's when you break through and go to the NCAA tournament, that's probably who you're going to play anyway. Possibly, yeah. Your first, the first round game is, is usually has a, has a regional bias to it. So if Arkansas is in and we're in, that's a likely game. You know, maybe, maybe even Memphis. Memphis has a, a top 25 level program as well. So that might be someone that they send us to, Ole Miss. But Arkansas is... is you know, they're kind of like the, the gold standard in the area, and, and that's who we have to recruit against. And, and if we can play against them and, and show that we're, hey, maybe we get the upset. Yeah. You know, that changes things. I want to Arkansas State fans who love A-State list this, but maybe haven't kept up as much of your roster. This past year, you guys win the title, and we, we sort of joked about the other day. That it was, it's like the entire team was seniors and freshmen because – Sedoma and McClure and that bunch did come back and take that COVID year. Then you had that phenomenal freshman class. But just so a state fans realize, I mean, you guys, uh, your sport not immune to the the portal stuff as well because you had two players leave your program and end up on SEC teams. Yeah, it's kind of the the nature of of, of the game these days, right? So I understand players should have freedom and, and the ability to make choices. We lost two significant parts to our program maybe two weeks before the deadline. So it was we didn't really have much of a chance to to recover from that, you know, and, and they both had three years eligibility remaining and, and we weren't gonna be recruiting that position till twenty four, which is a mistake, which won't be made again. We're yeah. gonna, you know, recruit everyone, <laughs> recruit yeah. every position every year. And um, you know, they ended up at Ole Miss and Mizzou and, and they're gonna do well. It puts us in a position where we have to bring our depth up a little bit faster than maybe you wanted to losing Megan and goal, you know, so we have Domerus and, and Olivia Luther who are very good goalkeepers who will be competing, you know, to take over that job. And, um, we have a player we're waiting on to get accepted to school who we also picked up in the transfer portal late in the game, um, who I think can help, uh, give us some depth in the position that where we lost players. And uh, Sidani Clark, who we brought in from a junior college in New York, she's gonna. I think she's gonna be someone that's gonna score some goals for us as well, you know. Um, and then we have a lot of players that had a good spring who worked hard and, and are waiting for their opportunity too, you know. So it's gonna be a different team. It's gonna be a different way of playing. When you have somebody like a Sedoma up top, sometimes just an errant ball that gets through causes havoc for your opponent. So we have to we have to play a little bit differently. I think we can be just as effective. I think our attack is going to be really dynamic. We have depth. We have speed. We have technique. We have a lot of the things you need to score goals. 
We lost some players, yeah, but we have players that are ready to step up. I do want to ask you one more because we were talking about field goal kickers earlier and how you were a field goal kicker at one point. Really, you you talk to any field goal kicker, and I think a, a lot of the ones that have come through here at A-State have been soccer players. Well, we've seen women soccer players go on to kick in college football games, and, and really it's happened the last couple of years where it's made headlines. Do you think we'll see more of that? Do you have players on your roster that you think could maybe do something like that at one point? I'm sure that I got plenty of kids on the roster who think they can do it. <laughs> I don't have any doubt about that. Yeah, you were giving that some thought, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you saw it was with Sarah Fuller at Vanderbilt, right? Uh, yeah, she's, Sarah she's, Fuller. She's the one that, that kind of got it going at the D1 level. There's there's some other stories where some kids have come on and done it. It would be interesting. You know, it's, it's if some of them really dedicated themselves to it, I'm sure that they could get the explosiveness required. Maybe not necessarily the distance some of these guys are kicking about 70 yards now right but accuracy and, and efficiency yeah I, I think that there could be a lot of potential kickers that do it and keelan peacock who's one of our players was a high school kicker yeah and back in albany where she came from so my guess is that she's probably someone that would say hey give me a shot i don't have a problem i'll i'll kick it through the uprights hey i mean as long as you can get it through the uprights that's that's the main yeah. thing distance Distance is overrated sometimes. But I was able to pat myself on the back, got all the way, and really without even trying. I w- it wasn't intentional, but I got all the way through this conversation with the uh, coach and, and talking about his sport, and never one time we'd talk about Ted Lasso, the whole deal. <laughs> way to go, me. Are you a Ted Lasso fan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't wait for the next season. Uh, I've heard it's the last one. I don't know. I hope I hope they keep it going. But it's heard that too. It's yeah. been fun. It's been fun to watch. And yeah, he's a soccer coach, but the message isn't really no. It's, with no, the sport, it's not a you show know? about it's, soccer. Yeah, it's. I've enjoyed it, and I've watched uh, the first season a couple of times. I got to get caught up on on the most recent ones. I've watched them all, but I want to watch them again. There's lessons that you can pull out of there for sure. You haven't used any of those Ted Lasso quotes with the team, have you? I'm sure I have. Um, <laughs> I, I told the kids don't watch the show so that you know, I get credit for them. You know? <laughs> That's but it, probably yeah. a good idea. Yeah. yeah, Coach, it's been fun visiting with you. Thanks for coming by today. This, is, this has been good. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. That's A-State soccer coach Brian Dooley joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Thanks again to Brian Dooley coming in and talking. Talking soccer with us, which is something that, you know, we, we had one other soccer guest in the history of this podcast, and that was after the uh, tornadoes hit Northeast Arkansas the last time. Cooper Cowan came on, her and you know, a couple of her friends, I think Keelan Peacock was included in yep. that, had gone out and uh, helped out 
as far as the cleanup efforts. So cool to uh, to visit with Coach Dooley, and he's got it going now. And there there was a time not too long ago where A State soccer was kind of an afterthought again, mm-hmm. just two winning seasons in the first fifteen seasons of the program's existence, and now they're coming off back to back conference titles. Well, when he talked about the situation at FAU and he took that over and I mean not the whole contract thing but just the the funding and the the history of it thought he was talking about Arkansas State yeah you know very I mean, similar. so it's a situation he's used to coming in and, and uh turning around and he's done you know one heck of a job and again in a sport that that uh it's not easy for Arkansas State to be that good in because you have to travel well outside the circle to find players you know just it's not like you can go, you know, some places where you just try to get kids to stay home. That that's not the deal here that that he and his staff deal with. We're just uh, a week out from Sunbelt Conference Media Days now, getting ready for Football Media Day. It was announced the other day who the A State representatives will be, the player representatives, and you know we always see one offense, one defense. In this case, you'll see a couple of the headliners mm-hmm. for this A State team make the trip this season with uh, quarterback James Blackman and linebacker Kavon Bennett. <laughs> Defensive end was on the tip of my tongue. There, <laughs> I saw you guys catch yourself. That's right. He's uh, he's a linebacker now, so that'll be I'm sure one of the many topics we can discuss with KB. That and his. Uh, Budding fashion Piano designing career, designing, yeah, Renaissance man. He really is. We can talk fishing with James Blackman. That's his other passion. Uh, he likes to fish. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so again, media day coming up quick. That means football season is almost here, and we'll have a lot to talk about on that front. About time to get out of here today, though. Anything we need to chat no, about? I don't think so. I mean. Uh, I don't know. If I've got to think that hard, then there's no sense in getting wound up about something. I was on uh, vacation last week. Family and I went to Texas. Anyway, so one of the days go by, and I'm used to this. You know, we've got 11 years of Bobo picking on me and, and Jerry Scott in particular on the fact that, you know, the Rangers lost in 2011 to his Cardinals, and mm-hmm. that's something I get reminded about by you and Mark Taylor. On well, we can't help it. You moved to the middle of Cardinal Nation. A, a very regular basis, but uh, yeah, 11 years of, of being picked on here. So you quote tweet something last week. I guess David Freeze is, is coming to uh, some event, but it was a quote tweet from... So... You're quote tweeting yeah, who? So I was quote tweeting Dan McLaughlin, the TV voice of the Cardinals. Right. Anyway, so you quote tweet it, you tag me and Jerry in it, and I'm thinking, well, should I come back on this because I, I don't want to insult Dan McLaughlin, <laughs> but at the same time, he's trying to build up this event, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, Bobo's put me in the middle of this thing. I don't want to say anything bad about it so that's kind of well, where it's gone now. and i didn't and you're, I, you're and carrying I, this uh what i said was that i was gonna i was gonna get you and jerry scott tickets to that event for christmas an evening with david freeze yeah uh, it's at bush stadium it's a if you're gonna sit down in the green seats go on a warning track and they got a buffet set up and then go to the green seats behind home plate and there's a q a with 
David Freeze. Yeah. And I'm sure Dan McLaughlin, though, after seeing what you put, thought, oh, these are really big fans. So he they're retweeted. Go- they're, yeah. They're, they're going to enjoy this event. Yeah. So he retweeted my quote tweet. And so I didn't mean for that to happen to any of our notifications. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, Bobo, what have you done? You... Anyway, so I guess that's my rant. There Why, you go. I've still got to put up with this stuff 11 years later. Well, part of it is 11 years is a long time for the Cardinals to go without winning another one. So we still have to talk about that one. <laughs> that's true. We, we need the Cardinals to win another one that's because right. they've, got a lot, need to have they've got a lot better chance than the Rangers do this season. Hey, appreciate uh, Brian Dooley coming in. Uh, thanks to our buddy Mark Taylor for setting that up. For Brad, I'm Matt. You've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.